afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, from the Arcadian Court in downtown Toronto. Welcome to the Empire Club of Canada. For those of you just joining us through either our webcast or our podcast, welcome to the meeting. Before our distinguished speaker is introduced, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our head table guests. I would ask each guest to rise for a brief moment and be seated as your name is called, and I would ask the audience to refrain from applauding until all of our head table guests have been introduced. So of course our first guest is the Honorable Chris Ballard, the Minister of Environment and Climate Change. I, I can't believe you actually listened to instructions this time. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Hilkeen, Chief Executive Officer, Pollution Probe. Chris Benedetti, Principal Sussex Strategy Group and a Director of the Empire Club of Canada. Parminder Sandhu, President and CEO of Vistera Group of Companies and Chair and Interim CEO, Green Ontario Fund. Ms. Mariah Maria Malik. 2018 Candidate Masters of Climate Change, Faculty of the Environment, University of Waterloo. Thomas Chansey, Head of Communications, Corporate Citizenship, TD Bank. Jan Norman, Chief of Staff to Ontario Minister of the Environment and Climate Change. Kent Emerson, Associate Vice President, Municipal and Stakeholder Relations, Municipal Property Assessment Corporation, um, and the uh, First Vice President of the Empire Club of Canada. Pat Dalzell, Senior Strategist, Corporate Affairs, Bruce Power. And my name is Barbara Jessen. I'm the President of Jessen & Company Communications and the President of the Empire Club of Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, your head table guests. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome two student tables with us today. First, from the Faculty of the Environment at the University of Waterloo, my alma mater. Uh, we're just so pleased that you made the trek in from Waterloo today. We also have with us a group of journalism students from Centennial College. Students, if you would all please rise to be recognized. Thank you so much for being with us. I don't know how our next guest sleeps at night. If there is a weightier challenge than the one he faces in his current portfolio as the Minister of the Environment and Climate Change, I can't think what it is. Perhaps the one thing that relieves at least some of the stress for him is that he has some power to affect change. I don't know about the rest of you, but I just feel this sort of rest of anxiety about the sort of Damocles that hangs over our heads. The lifestyle changes we as individuals can make just seems so insignificant, and still the situation worsens. Over the Christmas vacation, I read Sapiens by Yuval Nori Harari, and if you haven't already done so, I can't recommend it more highly. It's basically the history of mankind from our first cellular beginnings right through to um, modern times. Uh, but if I, I do have to tell you that it's not for the faint of heart. Chapter after chapter reflects on the damage the human species has done to the planet we call home. What baffles me most is that in the face of all this scientific evidence that the scales are tipping against us, there continue to be those who deny that there is a problem. The U.S. refusal to join the Paris Accord and the dismantling of the EPA just leaves me dumbfounded. It is just so hard to imagine a president that supports no, no actively urges a return to coal as a fossil fuel, while at the same time the New York Times last weekend published a special section called The Drowning Coast. 
And I don't know if any of you saw the papers this morning. It's just every day there's another story about about flooding and and what we're going to do about the way that we're paving over our our cities and and uh, and and the damage to our homes. Every day presents more incongruities along with more dire warnings. Fortunately, in Canada, our governments appear poised to provide real leadership that can help make a difference. And hopefully, our guest today comes to us with some concrete program initiatives that will engage us all in addressing the problem here in Ontario. Minister Ballard currently serves as Minister of the Environment and Climate Change. He was previously Minister of Housing and Minister Responsible for the Poverty Reduction Strategy. Prior to that, he was Parliamentary Assistant to the Minister Responsible for the Poverty... Sorry, I'm repeating myself. And to the Minister of Government and Consumer Services. He comes to the current challenge with a broad understanding of the economic imperatives that so frequently play into climate change strategies. Mr. Ballard served as a town councillor for Aurora, where he chaired the Economic Development Advisory Committee and the Parks and Recreation Committee. He was vice chair of the town's secondary plan, Places to Grow, and he is a former journalist and worked in public affairs for more than 25 years. He worked on behalf of Ontario consumers with both the Consumers Association of Canada, where he was executive director of the Ontario Group, and is a founding board member of the Consumers Council of Canada. He is a strong advocate for consumer issues across the country. He has first-hand knowledge of Indigenous issues, having spent many years working for Dean and Gwichich um, in uh, organizations in Northern Canada. Excuse me for that butchery. And ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the podium Mr. Chris Ballard. Um, we're just delighted he's joining us. Well, thank you, uh, Barbara, for that, that kind introduction. Um, good day, everyone. I'm delighted to be here uh, at the Empire Club of Canada. Um, but before I go any further, I would like to uh, offer an acknowledgement uh, and a thank you that today we're gathered on lands that for countless generations was home to Indigenous peoples. And the Indigenous whole earth approach uh, is especially appropriate to my ministry. And I am very thankful that as I cross the province, uh, not only in this portfolio, but past portfolios, I've had a wonderful opportunity to talk to uh, elders and other wise folks in Indigenous communities who let me know about their traditions, their knowledge, uh, in the hope that we could incorporate this whole-of-earth perspective into what we're doing at the ministry. And I'm so proud to say that Premier Kathleen Wynne gets it, that my ministry gets it, and that that, in fact, is what we're doing. For more than a century, this forum, 114 years, this forum, that's almost as old as I feel today, uh, it has been an important place to discuss the major issues of the day. And let's be honest, as Barbara pointed out, there are a lot of issues to discuss today. But I want to take this opportunity as we launch the latest Green Ontario Fund initiative to add some context to our government's actions by highlighting our shared challenges and and giving you a better sense of who Ontario's Minister of the Environment and Climate Change is. Maybe it's because I'm getting older, heck no, but change is happening faster and faster and faster. Uh, I'm from a little town called King City, just north of here. It once was a little town. It is growing. Uh, when I was there, about 850 people lived in King. 
King City sits high atop the Oak Ridge Moraine, a beautiful geographic feature left behind by the retreating glaciers about, what, 10, 11, 12,000 years ago. Rolling hills, mature forests, the headwaters of many rivers. So as a kid, I had a wonderful opportunity to hike the East Humber, to fish it, and in the wintertime to ski extensively throughout that watershed. Uh, I shared this wonderful natural environment with deer and wolves and uh, red-tailed foxes and hawks. You name it, we saw it. You get the picture of, of this wonderful bucolic upbringing right on the edge of nature. And I was quite dependent upon a naturalistic environment for uh, anchoring me and, and keeping me uh, um, grounded. So King City, probably like you know a lot of us here, it's a kind of community where uh, your parents volunteered their sons for chores when a farm neighbor became ill, and you daren't ask for uh, anything, any compensation. You daren't ask to be paid. It really taught me that uh, community, it isn't a bunch of people living in the same place. It's a shared sense of responsibility to one another. And that our success, as well as our struggles, are the things that bind us together. So as I grew older, I took that with me, that sense of community with me and ventured out into the world. Uh, ended up living in Aurora, which is right next door to King City. So I guess I didn't venture that far. I've lived uh, in Aurora for a number of years now uh, with my wife, Audrey, and we raised our, our three kids there. Looking back on the experience of my folks, and my life, and the path ahead for my kids, the change has been quite dramatic. Right now... A disruption is underway to our economy, and it is accelerating. Is this the fourth industrial revolution, the second, the continuation of the first? Who knows? But it is causing anxiety. The Internet, big data analysis, artificial intelligence, robotics, it's ushering in major changes across the industrialized world. The, uh, the thinker, Buckminster Fuller lectured that until 1900, until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every century. And then it began to speed up. By the end of the Second World War, knowledge was doubling every quarter century, every 25 years. And then it sped up again. Today, the totality of human knowledge doubles at a faster and faster rate. Some say every 12 months. And as the Internet of Things connects more and more devices, some deep thinkers say that knowledge growth could be doubling every 12 hours. No wonder our brains are tired and we're feeling a bit anxious. And there is the, the hockey stick approach to explaining why perhaps we're feeling a little anxious and tired. It's clear that artificial intelligence and the robot revolution is underway. These technologies advances will leverage our vast knowledge base. Yes, the robots are coming, and they will be able to learn. Cue the video.
Uh, Molly, the robot chef, is slated for pre-sales in 2018. Uh, and you know, <laughs> this product may fail, but the trend is not going to go away. Uh, some headlines that uh, are worrisome. AI is doing legal work, but it won't replace lawyers yet, reports the New York Times. Robots are coming for these Wall Street jobs, says Bloomberg. And finally, millions of professional drivers will be replaced by self-driving vehicles, reports NBC News. So when you see headlines like this, we get a bit anxious. Transportation, communications, energy, healthcare, law and finances, they're just a few of the industries facing serious disruption from technology. So if autonomous vehicles are coming soon, and that autonomy will safely allow more vehicles to use the same highway space, do we need another multi-billion dollar 400 series highway? I mean, this is just one example of accelerated change that our governments must address. And during this period of accelerating acceleration, if you don't innovate and embrace technology, you're left behind. But this change may be more dramatic than what we've experienced in the past. Uh, 2013 Oxford University study still projects the coming computerization of technology will put 47% of total U.S. employment at risk. So what does this kind of change mean for the nature of work? For the nature of business, the way we move, live, interact, what will our communities look like, our businesses, and what do you want them to look like? How does government respond? How does it address this anxiety? Our government is working to create fairness and opportunity during this period of rapid change. The plan includes a higher minimum wage and better working conditions, free or reduced tuition for thousands of students, easier access to affordable childcare, and free prescription drugs for everyone under 25. It also includes a comprehensive basic income pilot testing a guaranteed income for Ontario residents. So, Experts have been telling us for many years that in a rapidly changing economy where well-paying 40-hour work weeks are rare, a basic income may be the safety net some need to avoid falling off the fiscal cliff as they move between jobs, retraining, and new jobs. So we'll see. I know early, early anecdotal reports from the basic income pilot uh, are very positive. As we adapt to this accelerating change, the legacy of our fossil-fueled economy is one that we also have to manage. You know, we've futuristic technologies and, and information in our pockets, and I think I left my cell phone on the table, but you understand what I'm groping for. We have these things. And while we have them, at the same time, we also have lakes and oceans filling with plastic. We're globally connected, but today communities are running out of water like Cape Town or being flooded or on fire. This is our conflicted reality. Very quickly, I spent, as, uh, as Barbara said, I spent a lot of years, about 25 years, working for a variety of Indigenous communities uh, clients in uh, Northwest Territories and Yukon. 
uh, Dene and Gwich'in communities. And I saw firsthand, 25 years ago, things happening in these communities that when I came home, no one was really talking about. I saw pingos slowly melting back into the permafrost. Um, I heard elders, Gwich'in elders, talk about uh, uh, animals and insects that they'd never seen, were not part of their history. Things like wasps and robins. Um, changes, significant changes to caribou migration. And I, I won't forget once having a cup of tea with a group of Gwich'in elders because really, if you want to learn what's going on in the community, you sit down with elders and, and, and have some bannock and enjoy a cup of tea. And I had a, an elder tell me that when she was a little girl, and she'd always grown up by this community called Tetliche on the western side of Fort McPherson, uh, of uh, Northwest Territories, that storms were a rarity. Winter storms, yes. High winds, yes. But now there were thunderstorms. She did not even have a Gwich'in word to describe a thunderstorm, and yet they were there with increasing frequency. And what she told me and what her friends around, uh, around the living room told me was, they were scared. They were very scared of what was happening to our world. This is 15, 20 years ago we were talking about this in, in places like that. And I would come home to southern Ontario where we were starting to talk about this thing called global warming and the difference between what was happening in my hometown and what was happening in places like Dalinay and Sigachik and Aklavik and Anuvik and those places was dramatically different. You know, what it really reminded me, too, because these are communities that are very poor, monetarily very poor, rich in spirit. But it really drove home the fact to me that it is the poor and the vulnerable who did not create climate change. But it is the poor and the vulnerable are folks who live in remote areas of Canada especially who are paying among the highest prices for climate change in this country. But back here in Ontario, we're seeing an increase in flooding, more intense storms, shorter winter road seasons, the proliferation of, of devastating invasive species, and an increase in vector-borne diseases. People are concerned. It adds to our anxiety. People are anxious about the threats Climate change poses, they're concerned about the impact on our economy, especially at a time, as I said earlier, we are facing many challenges from automation and global competition. And I don't think that I'm alone in believing that climate change is the greatest single threat to our security and our future prosperity. At the same time, this is, as I said, but one of the serious issues we're dealing with today. And I would be remiss as Minister of Environment if I didn't just take a second and talk about waste. For too long, we've been creating too much waste and sending too much of it to landfills. In, in 2017, a study I was reading the other day looked at global plastic production and estimated that 79% ends up in landfills or, or somewhere else in our environment. We've all seen images of the islands of plastic refuse, Here's a perfect example, floating in the oceans. This stuff doesn't go away, frankly. It breaks down, and it gets smaller and smaller. 
But I'm thankful that the prosperity our economy has brought this province. Uh, but together, uh, we must shape a very different future. So this is why the next industrial revolution, the one we are all embarking on here, whether we want to get on board or not, we are on board. It must be low carbon, and it has to be it has to embrace the the circular economy revolution. Ontario residents are are looking to their official, official, elected officials and their business leaders to confront the challenges, and and this is key to also seize the opportunities. The challenges, as Barbara mentioned at the beginning, they're great. They're huge. But I am an optimist. Uh, I am optimistic because the road we have to travel is hard. We will have to change. But our journey thus far brings me some hope. Last week, the iconic twin smokestacks from Nanakoke coal-fired uh, electricity plant were demolished. I don't know if you got a chance to see them. Those stacks. Here we go. I wish I was there. This is so cool. There goes one of them. I understand at one point in time, this was the largest burning coal facility in North America, if not the world. the dust settle for the next few minutes, so I'll just keep talking. I mean, that's a great sight as far as I'm concerned, and it really is a symbolic image of ending coal-fired electricity in Ontario. It was one of the largest greenhouse gas reduction initiatives in North America, and equivalent to taking 7 million vehicles off our road. At the same time, it has helped clean our air. Over the past three years, there has been one smog advisory and none since 2016, zero. And it took the vision and courage of Premier Kathleen Wynne to get us there. Today, we can say that Ontario's electricity system is more than 96% free of greenhouse gas pollution. Now that certainly is worth applauding. This has made us a leader in the fight against climate change, and I know this because when I am outside of Ontario, whether it be Canada, the U.S., or Europe, people keep coming up to me and saying, I've heard about how you ended coal-fired electricity generation. I've heard about uh, the thousands of kilometers of, of electrical wires you've strung. I've heard about other initiatives. Can you give us some advice on what you did? So whether they be from Australia or New Zealand or Germany or France, we're having some wonderful conversations with with governments of all levels about what we did uh, and uh, uh, what we would perhaps do a little different, but sharing the knowledge, and it is very, uh, very uh, uplifting to see the acknowledgement that we all get as Ontarians whenever I get to travel outside the province. So building on the coal ban, we introduced our cap and invest plan. We're capping the amount of greenhouse gas pollution businesses can emit, and we're investing the proceeds from our carbon market 
into projects that, that further reduce pollution and make life easier for Ontario residents. With our carbon market, if a large emitter exceeds their cap on pollution, they must buy allowances from the market, either at auction or from other companies that come in under their limit. I know cap and invest, it's, it's not an easy concept to explain, even with great pictures. Um, it doesn't lend itself to a five-second TV clip. I get it. But we chose this plan because it guarantees reductions every year as the cap on pollution is reduced. And it delivers those reductions at the lowest cost for families and businesses. To date, we've held five carbon market auctions, generating around $2.3 billion in proceeds. Last week, we had our first linked carbon market with Quebec and California, joining a best-in-class carbon market, says the Independent Environment Commissioner. So let me remind you, we are required by law to spend every penny of those proceeds on things that reduce greenhouse gas pollution or prevent it. Uh, with our climate change action plans, 90 measures we're investing in Ontario and reducing our dependency on imported fossil fuels. And I can't emphasize how important that is. Between 2014 and 2016, Ontario imported virtually all of its fossil fuels, sending $58 billion out of the province to the states, to, uh, to other uh, countries, and to other provinces. $58 billion of our funds went out of province for fossil fuels. We have a real plan, people, to fight climate change and reduce our imported fossil fuel dependency. And I know as minister, I, I really try to remain neutral and uh, not get, uh, get drawn into, uh, into politics, partisan politics a bit, but I have kids and I am worried. I'm worried that when I look across the aisle, I see and I hear about uh, PC candidates who seem to still be debating whether or not climate change is a real thing. In 2018, at a time when the Arctic, the North Pole, is two degrees above zero in February, at a time where in Toronto we're wandering around without jackets, uh, and in Europe they're being hammered by 10 centimeters of snow. It's, it's like the next season of Netflix's Stranger Things. If you're familiar with that show, you'll get what I'm talking about. So, so far, to carry on, so far, we've announced more than $1.5 billion worth of investments that reduce greenhouse gas pollution and other nasty air contaminants, and those investments are underway.
I really like that tagline, when we bring communities together, because it speaks of, of my time growing up in a small community. So our investments, they're already supporting Ontario residents. And, and now today, this is where we need the drum roll coming up in a minute, I, I'm really pleased to announce our next program that is fundamental to forming Ontario's low-carbon future. Today's announcement is calling on businesses, not uh, nonprofits, indigenous groups, utilities, conservation authorities to strap on their thinking caps. The Green Ontario Fund is proposing a bold challenge, the Green On Challenge. We're looking for big solutions that tackle some of our toughest barriers to low-carbon transformation. Projects could include development of net-zero community, uh, energy saving, uh, savings among multiple homes, new financing mechanisms, or other transformative ways to, ways to significantly increase the number of home energy improvements. Projects could also propose performing retrofits that demonstrate new low-carbon building designs or manufacturing processes. So the Green Ontario Fund will invest up to $300 million in the Green On Challenge. These are our cap and invest proceeds at work. Parminder Sandhu, who's at the uh, head table with me here today, he's here to answer any detailed questions uh, you might have about the program. <laughs> I love doing that. The Green Ontario, it's not fair, I know, but still. Uh, the Green Ontario Fund is key to helping move Ontario to our low-carbon uh, low economy. He and his team, uh, they've been doing some excellent work, uh, we've, and we've given them a lot to do. Um, he's been tasked with rolling out a number of critically important programs. It doesn't seem like a week goes by without us making another announcement. So thank you, Parminder, to you, your team, and your board for uh, helping implement this vision of a low-carbon economy. So I, I spoke earlier about the importance of not just fighting climate change, but also seizing the opportunities of a low-carbon and circular economy. Ontario has the fastest-growing clean tech system uh, sector, I'm sorry, the, the fastest-growing clean tech sector in Canada. It's home to 3,000 clean tech companies employing some 65,000 people and generating about $8 billion in annual revenues. You know, not long ago, that sector would have been considered a, a niche industry. Well, no longer. Not when you employ 65,000 Ontarians and generate that type of revenue. And today, our companies are exporting. These companies are exporting $1 billion worth of made-in-Ontario clean tech solutions each and every year, and it's growing. Our plan to cap and invest is spurring the development of new clean technologies, bringing jobs and economic benefits in the growing global market for climate-friendly products. And at the same time, our, our strategy for a waste-free Ontario is building this circular economy in Ontario. You know, the circular economy where one person's waste is another person's resource. 
Nothing goes to waste. It's an economy where we minimize the use of raw resources. We maximize the useful life of materials through resource recovery, and we minimize waste generated at the end of life of products. We've begun the groundwork to build the circular economy and increase producer responsibility right across Ontario. You know, it's estimated that for every 1,000 tons of waste diverted from landfill, we create seven jobs. If we were to divert just 50% of what currently goes to landfill, some 8 million tons, that would result in as many as 30,000 jobs. So during this period of creative disruption, this next industrial revolution, I believe Ontario is well positioned to, to weather the storm and harness the opportunities. Ontario's economic growth outpaced all the G7 countries from 2014 to 2016. The, the latest stats I had, I think was the first quarter of 2017, were continuing on that trend. 2017, the first quarter, of course, is when we held our first carbon market auction. So, to get to the end, a few years back, I took a, a trip with my wife to the UK. and we, we specifically wanted to go to a place called Ironbridge. I don't know if anyone has been there. It's just uh, north, uh, northwest of Birmingham uh, in the UK. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is a beautiful, small riverside town, quiet. The area nearby is rich in coal and iron ore, which is why this is an important town. Uh, it was the birthplace of the first industrial revolution. Well, at least that's what the local museum says and who might argue with them. But it certainly was very important because in 1709, a guy by the name of, of Abraham Darby, a visionary, he used coke in, as his fuel instead of charcoal to make iron in his foundry. And this small change revolutionized the production of iron leading Darby on a road to becoming an iron master and providing that key resource for the Industrial Revolution. As production grew, ship traffic on this narrow river clogged, much like trying to head down the DVP in the morning, so Darby was contracted to build a bridge. On the most dramatic edge of the gorge across the river, he built the world's first cast iron bridge. You can see it in the picture here. Standing on that bridge, looking over the town, I marveled at this physical legacy of the Industrial Revolution. And today I wonder, what will be the physical symbol of the next Industrial Revolution right here in Ontario? Maybe the Green On Challenge will spur the development of this legacy. But perhaps during this rapid change, the legacy uh, we pass is not physical, rather it's rooted in our values. So let me take you with me for a second to the bucolic King Township on a springs morning. You're standing beside a 12-year-old kid. That would be me. We're looking at a beautiful pasture. There are some horses grazing to the left. To the right are a few deer nibbling away. In the distance, a red-tailed fox skirts the forest. The sun is just coming up above a beautiful oak forest, and it is warm. And it smells beautiful on this early spring morning. Um, if you look up, there's a red-tailed hawk circling, looking for breakfast. I don't know how you feel, but I know how I feel. 
when I imagine that vision. And I will tell you that I don't want to live in a world where that does not exist, where that cannot exist. My dad used to say, don't just bring me a problem. Give me a couple of ways of fixing it and tell me how you're going to be part of the solution. The world my parents were raised in is radically different than the world my kids, your children, our grandchildren will inhabit. We can't put the climate change genie back in the bottle. But I believe our common values, our sense of fairness, our shared sense of community bind us together on this small blue planet, the one that we call home. And I know that working together with you, we can fight the good fight against climate change. And I want to thank you for your attention and your concern uh, about climate change. And please, look into Green On's Challenge, a wonderful program. Minister has agreed to take a few questions from the audience, and he's going to be joined by Praminder Sandhu. And I'd like him to join us on the stage now. There will be microphones circulating in the audience. So, thanks for taking all the tough questions. <laughs> Look at that; we've answered see, all the questions. That, that was a good speech. We'll see. Oh, there we go. Uh, my name is Tim Dobbs from the Ontario Association of Landscape Architects. And uh, um, your childhood history that you related, I was quite touched by because it was quite similar to what I had, having uh, contact with nature at a very young age, had a profound impact on myself choosing my career in landscape architecture. So I was very touched by that. On the Green On Challenge, um, are you looking for specific projects for, or... Could you explain a bit more if you're looking for specific types of projects and elaborate a bit more on that? Uh, the high-level answer would be yes. Uh, I am looking for, we are, we are looking for innovative, and I hate to see, use the cliche, outside-of-the-box mm -hmm. ideas, things that maybe are being tried in other countries, but things that I'm hoping are new ideas, uh, new ideas being created here in Ontario. Um, and I think we want to keep, you know, stop me if I'm wrong, but, but I want to keep the criteria as wide as possible to try and encourage that creativity uh, and try and encourage as much partnering among the various sectors I mentioned uh, and, and bring your, your best ideas forward. It's sort of, in, in some ways, hearkening back to Ontario's uh, uh, basic income pilot. You know, we, we have to find new ways of doing things okay. if we are to, to, to achieve our, our climate uh, uh, change uh, objectives, right? So I'm really looking for industry, government, NGOs to come forward with creative ideas. Okay, well, I got several. I'll be putting okay. them in for you. Thank you. Can I just add one thing to that the last uh, question? So what Minister Ballard talked about is bring all these uh, creative ideas. I do want to uh, share one level of detail for the Green On Challenge. It's a two-stage process. So the first one is an expression of interest. So we want to see all the great ideas out there. And then from there, we'll pick some streams in, in, in terms of, of finalizing some concepts that will go to a business case. So it's really important to be as creative as possible. 
Hi there, um, my name is Miranda Bird. I'm from the Faculty of Environment with the University of Waterloo. We'd like to all thank you for this opportunity to be here, and we're just pleased that we've had this opportunity to network and speak with so many different people about climate change. Um, I'm specifically interested as I'm a master's, of, I'm in the master's program for climate change, um, and I'm wondering if the Green On Challenge will have any any interest in having adaptation projects as well, as we all know that mitigation is not the only solution, as there's also um, irreversible effects and that we need to address as well. Yeah. No, I know, uh, and I, I know as a, as a former municipal politician, adaptation is uh, is high on the list of of, of, of what uh, uh, municipal governments want us to do. There are uh, programs we have for for adaptation. Um, that will be coming along for adaptation, but this program, because it's tied with with our cap and invest, uh, has to be uh, has to be solely focused on reducing greenhouse gas pollution. So adaptation sort of falls into another another box, but but it is important, and it's uh, we have some other things happening there as well. Good afternoon, Minister. Thank you for the announcement. Don McCabe, a farmer from southwestern Ontario. Uh, my questions today are, are numerous, but I'm going to try and narrow it down to the fact that the resource industries in Ontario have yet to see a uh, real boost from where these programs have been announced, and with this one today, uh, we need to recognize the resource industries as that's the starting point for any of this, and therefore, at the end of the day, at what point do we actually get to a true cap and trade? Because I've seen the cap in operation, I just haven't seen an offset market come into play yet that's actually going to be feasible for the resource industry to work with. And therefore, in this project that you've announced today, who's going to own the carbon credits? Own the carbon credits, I believe those are being traded to you. Yeah, I, that's, that's a, a good question, we'll get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Don, you're drilling down to a level of, uh, of uh, uh, that that uh, is is uh, I'm I'm not there yet to give you that answer. But I I will say, you know, when it comes to working with uh, resource industries, as as I have, and you know, I've been had uh, uh, many a conversation with uh, whether it be uh, mining, forestry, or whatever. Um, we've been through one year of of the cap and invest program. Uh, it's a multi-year program, and uh, a lot of what we're doing uh, in other areas of my ministry are also dealing with how do we assist resource uh, companies, resource organizations to, to meet their carbon reduction targets, their other pollution reduction targets, uh, and share equitably in, in the Green On uh, uh, program. Hi, Stephanie Barr. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Waterloo. Thank you for the announcement today. It sounds like a wonderful program. Uh, I was wondering what role do you see uh, academia playing in partnerships with government and industry in the Green On Challenge? Oh, well, in, in all the Green On work we're doing, I got to make a really great announcement just last week. Uh, uh, well, the past couple of weeks, we were, we were talking to Guelph at Seneca. Last week, we were at U of T talking about a $514 million program uh, investments into colleges and universities uh, to help them become uh, reduce their carbon footprint. And the, the most exciting part of it was all the professors who showed up to talk about all the cool research that is going on, uh, and we're, we're, you know, we need not only in the Green On Challenge, 
but we need that input if we're to continue to grow our, our clean tech uh, industries and to uh, monetize and commercialize a lot of the research that's going on in our universities and colleges. So I would say uh, we need to continue to work closely with universities. And I know I hear constantly from, uh, from, from faculty members uh, and students about how important, not A, how important, uh, how important uh, uh, climate change is, uh, but B, how they've got some really exciting ideas coming along. Uh, and we've got to keep an eye on that and, and work closely with them. Don't know if you have anything. Yeah, Michelle, I'll just add a couple of things. So it's a really good question. Yeah. So this particular uh, program is targeting uh, the private sector is a really important part. We have to leverage private capital to get into this market to solve these big, big challenges. The other thing I'll, I'll suggest is, if you're from academia, partner up with some uh, someone from that private sector or the nonprofit sector that can uh, drive this. There's a, a list of eligible uh, participants in this particular program. Uh, academia can definitely partner with any of those, and we think that uh, academia does have a, a big role uh, to, to play in that. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Okay. Back to our dessert. Thank you very much, everyone. <laughs>
Closing uh, coal plants has had a number, uh, numerous other benefits uh, that are making Ontario's air cleaner. And uh, I didn't actually remember the last time we had a smog day. You reminded me uh, during this. But I do remember in 2005, we had 15 smog advisories that lasted 53 days. So much of our summer, we were dealing with, with uh, uh, smog warnings. Um, so that's a, it's an amazing accomplishment that we've, we, we have now. Um, I would, however, like to note that um, the transition to uh, a low-emission electricity system, uh, the decision to, to, to close our coal plants was a great one, but it didn't happen without having other uh, electricity generators that have uh, low-emission uh, sources, uh, including our sponsor today, which is Bruce Power. Um, we also know, we didn't touch on this today, but we know that one of the biggest challenges that we have in uh, addressing climate change is to bring down emissions from our transportation sector. And I imagine that the Green On Challenge is uh, probably addressing that sector as well. But um, Pollution Probe is very proud of the work that we are doing with uh, the Ministry of Environment and Climate Change, Bruce Power, our other power producers, auto manufacturers, utilities, and a multitude of other stakeholders to get more electric and hydrogen passenger cars onto our roads. Unlike the mandatory programs in Quebec and California, Ontario's Voluntary Electric and Hydrogen Vehicle Advancement Partnership, also known as AVAP, is a collaborative initiative designed to ensure that by 2020, 5% of all our passenger vehicles on the road will be electric or hydrogen powered. And I was pleased to learn from our team today, uh, Minister, that uh, AVAP is working very well. Uh, those involved think it's the right approach. And uh, it's on track. And there's even some uh, bullish optimism, I would say, uh, among the stakeholders that we may deliver better than expected or hoped for. Um, and, and Minister, as you, uh, you, you pointed out in, in your speech and the announcement today, um, investment's a big part of this challenge. And, just a couple of months ago when the One World Conference was happening in Paris uh, on the second anniversary of the Paris Accord, that was the big issue. Uh, that was, we have an agreement around the world. Are we seeing the investment to coincide? And the resounding answer was around the world, no. So I'm really pleased to hear today's announcement and see that we are actually investing uh, and are going to continue investing in bringing down our emissions and uh, creating a better, uh, a better future for Ontarians. So thank you, Minister Ballard, for being here today. We have Pollution Probe, and I know all the others in the room here are uh, committed to and look forward to working with the, uh, the government of Ontario to produce the tangible outcomes required to ensure a clean, healthy, and prosperous Ontario. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I also want to express a very sincere thank you to our sponsor for this, today's lunch, Bruce Power. Um, they've been a marvelous partner for the Empire Club this year. They've sponsored a series of events all relating to um, energy usage and climate change, and uh, we're just so grateful for that partnership. Without that kind of support, these kinds of forums wouldn't be possible. So. A sincere thank you. I think this is the last in our series, but we hope that we'll find other ways to entice you back. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to thank MediaEvents.ca, Canada's online event space, for webcasting today's event for thousands of viewers around the world. I'd also like to thank um, the National Post, our print media sponsor. Our club has been around since 1903. 
but we have moved into the 21st century and are active on social media. Please follow us on Twitter at Empire underscore Club and visit us online at www.empireclub.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And finally, please join us at our next event, which happens to be tomorrow, March the 6th. We're featuring Vern Brownell, the CEO of D-Wave Systems, and Dr. James Olson of UBC at the Royal York Hotel. This promises to be a very interesting lunch, looking at that new frontier, quantum physics and quantum computing. So if you have an interest, please, please get out to join us. Thank you so much for your attendance today, particularly to our students. And this meeting is now adjourned.